Welcome back to another uh, podcast episode of The Abominable Dr. Welsh. Uh, today in 2020, Bloomhouse Productions arguably is the king of horror. Even in a, in a truncated year like 2020, where we didn't get uh, most of the horror movies we were anticipating, what did get released into theaters, uh, The Invisible Man was certainly would have to be considered among one of the better ones. But if you go back to the 1930s and 1940s, it was Universal Studios that reigned with their uh, Universal Monsters lineup, from Dracula to Frankenstein to the Wolfman. But from about the mid-1950s up until about the early 1970s, you had to go across the pond, all the way to England where Hammer Film Productions dominated the horror genre. The British studio made international stars out of both Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And while they rolled out dozens of gothic horror titles during their uh, 10 plus years on, on top of the genre, most horror fans, uh, it's it's their Frankenstein and Dracula series that we know them for. Uh, Curse of Frankenstein and Horror Dracula were released back to back and they gave uh, birth to Hammer Horror. So if you're of a certain age, um, I'm in my you know, mid 40s, I can remember rainy Sunday afternoons. It wasn't... Uh, unusual to to find one of the hammer horror movies on a sunday afternoon playing on television um, if you're a younger horror fan you're probably not as familiar but during that time period other than uh, vincent price's uh, collaborations with uh, roger corman it was the uh, dracula and uh, frankenstein hammer horror series that really dominated the horror genre between 1958 and 1974 hammer films produced believe it or not a total of nine different dracula movies so for people who complain uh, that hollywood has no original ideas today and it's all re remakes and sequels keep in mind this is not a new trend uh, what i want to take a look at today is revisiting or uh, resurrecting hammer's dracula series because it's produced some of the better movies that came out from the studio and in my opinion uh, British accent makes everything a little bit, be uh, bit a little bit better it classes up even the uh, cheapest looking of horror movies what I want to take a look at is you know what was the best of Hammer's Dracula series and, and what was the worst so a kind of from worst to best uh, overview of Hammer Horror's Dracula series If we start from the bottom, everything's always subjective, but there are definitely a couple of, uh, of Hammer Horror's Dracula series that uh, stand, stick out in all the wrong ways. Um, not surprisingly, it's some of their early 70s output. By the 1970s, uh, Hammer's gothic horror was beginning to feel really outdated and stretched. You had uh, George Romero doing Night of the Living Dead. Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in uh, 1973. So Hammer Horror, which ironically was pushing the boundaries in, in the mid to late 1950s with uh, the colorized uh, depiction of blood was now very much outdated. If you watch some of their early 70s output, Hands of the Ripper, uh, Vampire Circus, uh, their Carnstein trilogy, you can really see the overt effort by the studio to try and update uh, its approach to horror. You got a lot more lurid sexuality. Yeah, there was more blood. The, the movies became for that time period a little more graphic the other thing they tried to do was transport some of their franchises particularly dracula one into contemporary times and probably the two worst of hammer horror's dracula series were their efforts to uh, transport christopher lee's dracula to swinging 
uh, swinging 60s and 70s London, England. In my opinion, at the bottom of the list is the Satanic Rites of Dracula. So as far as I'm concerned, hands down, this is the worst of the Hammer Dracula series. This sequel directly follows on the my next on the list, Dracula ED, which left Dracula in 1970s London. So you've got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing both back for this outing. Uh, the director, Alan Gibson, pretty much wastes their collective talents, and it shows both actors look like they'd rather be anywhere else. The Satanic Rites of Dracula mixes vampires with British spy movie tropes and a rather weird amalgamation in a story with something to do with an occult group. Bottom line, this is a pretty boring entry that lacks any of the kind of campy fun that you may have been able to find in Dracula ED. This one's pretty disposable. The next on my list at the bottom is Dracula ED 1972. Uh, so like I said, by the 1970s, Hammer Films was really struggling to maintain relevancy. relevancy. Uh, more contemporary horror movies. Uh, I've mentioned Night of the Living Dead, Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, they were making Hammer look pretty quaint. So in an effort to shake things up, uh, like I said, Hammer took some new directions. So you, they amped up the gore and the literate sexual content. Uh, they dropped uh, Dracula into the mid-70s British counterculture, and they did it first in Dracula AD 1972. Uh, this interestingly marks the first time that both Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were back on screen in a Dracula movie since the first in the, the uh, franchise, 1958's Horror of Dracula. In this movie, Lee's resurrected Dracula finds himself battling Van Helsing's descendant who looks exactly like Van Helsing, it's play, he's played by Peter Cushing again, uh, and drops them out amongst uh, British hippies. Not surprisingly, Dracula 80 1972 is pretty much as silly as it sounds, but um, regardless of that uh, hammer disp uh, dispatching of their winning gothic formula, the series entry has just enough camp quality and what I would consider to be unintentional laughs to at least make it watchable. That makes it just a little bit better than the Satanic Rites of Dracula. Next up on the list, so if Satanic Rites of Dracula is the bottom of the barrel and Dracula AD 1972 just barely passes as watchable, the, the next of uh, on the list is Scars of Dracula. As far as I'm concerned, this really marks the turning point for Hammer's long-running franchise. It, it does retain some of the gothic formula, but it's kind of unremarkable in terms of what the franchise has to offer. If you're a fan of Bram Stoker's original novel, Scars of Dracula does make a bit more of an effort to weave in some of uh, Stroker's uh, mythology. On the other hand, the sequel is really less concerned with continuity than the early movies. And for younger horror fans who've grown up uh, with movies like Saw, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where continuity is uh, and, and continued storylines really is important, you might be shocked that. 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s horror movies, Universal Studios, uh, monster output, the, the continuity, there's not much of a concern about it. Uh, and in this case, uh, this sequel is really even less concerned about it. Peter Cushing is, again, 
Uh, and he's not in every one of the movies and he's missing an action here. Uh, Christopher Lee is present. And, and in this case, he's given a little bit more to do than he was in other sequels. Uh, and like a lot of later Hammer horror movies, Scars of Dracula is definitely more graphically violent, but it's pretty much perfunctory in every other way. This is kind of a movie making by committee feel to it. Uh, the next on my list is Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which was released in 1968. So this followed immediately upon Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Uh, so it picks up right where that film left off where you have a hapless priest inadvertently uh, resurrecting Christopher Lee's count from an icy grave. Uh, Dracula, of course, when he awakes, finds his castle horse barricaded with a giant crucifix and vows revenge on the Monsignor responsible. Uh, what differentiates Dracula has risen from the grave from some of the other lower entries on this list is, uh, is that it's pretty much a perfectly serviceable sequel. It's not great, uh, but it's better than just being watchable. Uh, behind the camera this time is a longtime Amicus Studios director, Freddie Francis, who put out some pretty good movies in his career, particularly in the 60s and early 70s. And, and Francis capably follows the series formula. So yet in spite of looking and feeling like a Hammer Dracula movie, Dracula has arisen from the grave is a lot of times pretty boring. In particular, the middle part suffers from a lack of vampire horror, and you really do at those points in time feel Peter Cushing's absence uh, in a pretty big way. What's nice is Barry Andrews, who plays a character named Paul, is probably, uh, other than Cushing's Van Helsing, the series' most likable protagonist. Uh, he's actually somewhat empathetic, and the sight of Dracula impaled on a crucifix at the end does... Uh, qualify as one of the better endings in the franchise's history. Okay, now we're getting to the middle of the pack. Taste the Blood of Dracula is uh, the next one on my list. Uh, and you've got to hand it to Hammer Films. Uh, there's definitely an overall familiarity to the sequel. Director Peter Sazdy did still manage to kind of tweak the formula just enough. Peter Cushing missing in action for this one, but Taste of the Beloved Dracula decides to focus on three debaucherous British gentlemen. Uh, they perform a black mass ritual that, of course, inadvertently resurrects Count Dracula, who then vows revenge on the men. Somewhere in the story, you'll find a daughter and her... And her kind of helpless boyfriend it's definitely more lurid than the earlier sequels there's a lot more graphic violence than what you would have found in some of the earlier movies in the franchise uh, on the other hand th there's definitely a lack or absence of innovation this is uh, again kind of a paint by number sequel that still retains enough of God hammer's gothic charm and that opening prologue is pretty damn good the next one on my list is kind of a surprise because based on the title, you would pretty much assume this one would be uh, a dumpster fire. It's Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. This is the final movie that Hammer Films produced, uh, and for reasons imaginable, it really shouldn't work. It's a crossover between gothic British horror and some of the kung fu action films that a studio called Shaw Brothers was known for producing in the, the 1970s. And they're, believe, they're 
believe it or not, there is absolutely no trace of irony in the sequel. It is not intended to be funny. It's a genuine, uh, or looks to be a genuine effort to revitalize Hammer Studios by tapping into another style of filmmaking that is kind of film movies that was popular at the time. No Christopher Lee this time around, uh, and his replacement is pretty unremarkable. It's John Forbes Robertson, who, to be honest, looks pretty much ridiculous in the sequel with green tinted face paint. Uh, Peter Cushing uh, looks lost amidst the kung fu, kung, fu, kung fu scenes. I'm sorry, but Cushing, being the uh, not just talented, but uh, he's a very authoritative presence. It's always nice to see him in these movies. And the reality is, in spite of itself, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires is fun. It's a fun vampire movie. So for starters, it maintains that hammer horror vibe. So even crossing over with the Shaw Brothers Kung Fu uh, vibe, it still feels like hammer horror. And the Golden Vampire, uh, even its cheap uh, makeup effects, they actually still look creepy. They look cheap, but they're effective. And one scene where a vampire slave, uh, when the vampire slaves emerge from their graves, even the most cynical horror fans should be pretty impressed with that. It's a pretty cool scene. Getting closer to the top, uh, number three on my list is Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Christopher Lee would disappear for the first sequel in the franchise. Uh, in this one, he's back. Unfortunately, Peter Cushing this time around is missing. Uh, and while it's the third film in the series, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, directly follows from Horror of Dracula. Again, horror movies and movie, the movie world in general in the 1960s wasn't very concerned with quote-unquote shared universes or continuity. Yes, the sequel follows pretty much many of the same plot beats of Hammer's first Dracula movie. No one in the, ca in the cast, and that includes Andrew Keir's father, Sandra, will make audiences forget Cushing's Van Helsing. And Christopher Lee has no dialogue, uh, which is kind of odd. But even with these weaknesses, Dracula Prince of Darkness is, is pretty well paced. There's plenty of vampire action, particularly for that era. And Dracula's resurrection scene here is definitely the best of the series. Okay, here we go. The top two in Hammer Horror's Dracula franchise. Number two, the first sequel, uh, Brides of Dracula. So it's the first sequel in the series. Uh, it actually technically, the title is misleading because Dracula himself is not in this one. Christopher Lee sat out the sequel, but Peter Cushing is back as Van Helsing. You also have longtime Hammer Films collaborator Terrence Fisher, who's back to direct. Fisher, of course, was responsible for a lot of Hammer's better movies. This time around, filling in for Dracula, David Peel uh, more than capably steps up as the undead Baron Meinster. In fact, Dracula's absence actually kind of works to the sequel's advantage. Across its first 20 minutes or so, The Brides of Dracula actually benefits from a little bit of mystery around its villain and the circumstances in which uh, the, the movie's main heroine finds herself. Not surprisingly, Cushion is as charismatic and dashing as you would expect, and Fisher films a couple of standout series moments, including the birth of one bride and one of the best makeshift crucifixes in vampire movie history, uh, maybe only outdone by uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, 
from Dust Till Dawn, or maybe The Lost Boys. And sitting at number one, not surprisingly, is the movie that kicked it all off, The Horror of Dracula. Sorry, but you can't beat the original. So once Hammer had uh, tasted a little bit a little bit of success with uh, The Curse of Frankenstein, they went back to the same well and resurrected another Universal Monsters property. Horror of Dracula brings together everything that made Hammer Horror work so well for over 10 years. You've got your lush gothic set, sets, you've got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, you've got a very dramatic sweeping music score. Uh, yeah, literary, literary purists may take some issues uh, with the liberties that Horror of Dracula takes with the source material. Uh, they always played fast and, fast and loose with Dracula's mythology. And like I've said a few times in this uh, episode, continuity just was not uh, a big issue for movie making back in those days. But it is a different take on Stroker's novel that's and that kind of is half the fun. And the bottom line is this is classic old school British horror. It's not only the best in Hammer's Dracula series, it's one of the best movies that Hammer Horror produced. If you're a younger horror fan, but you really like older movies uh, and you want to kind of get, uh, find kind of a gateway into British horror, this is a good starting place. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, this overview or, or list, I guess I should say, of Hammer's Dracula series. Uh, maybe you don't agree with the uh, rankings. Uh, I would definitely love to hear from you and hear what you think. Otherwise, I hope that you'll come back and join me for another episode. Thank you.